we're all focused on the same thing. Like, how do we build something like really special? How do we build something that can that can win at the highest level, which is rare. It's rare. It's rare in Philadelphia. It's rare around the NBA. And how do you how do you get all the way there? How do you get all the way there? And how do you have the how do you have the fortitude not to not to take the shortcuts? I think I think what we're looking to do is um, is not is not build up just a point guard or not or not to solidify in sort of a linear way just one position. Okay, now that one's good. Now we'll move on to another one or this one player and we're set there and we'll move on and add and add to and add to. What we're looking to do is like build something that can win deep and that can go deep into May and and, and even into June. And to do that, it will require us to make tough decisions and require us to. Um, to be comfortable with uncertainty. Good decisions will come from a broad set of options and to be willing to make the tough calls when we say if we, if we have something but we have something that we think will move us, move our program forward even more so, then we'll do it. And then we'll do it. And, and I'll say this too, that we'll do it unblinkingly. That, that, that it is so, it's so critical to get from where we are to where we want to go for us to be, for us to be willing to take smart risks. How will when, you know when you're there? I will all know. <laughs> we'll all know. Good evening and good morning. I have no idea when you'll actually listen to this, but welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner along with Rich Hoffman here on the latest Sixers Beat, a part of the CLNS Media Network. Rich, we'll all know. We'll all know, you know, that process trusters have had that quote kind of lined up for a while now as a way of almost shoving it back in people's faces uh, as a way of saying, you know, basically that we were right. And I think I think that was a moment Wednesday night against the Lakers. That was a moment where the last holdouts of the Sixers rebuild really took notice that this had a very real chance of working out in a big way. I just feel like Wednesday night is the day when everybody, and I mean everybody nationally, really took notice of what the Sixers have going on in a way they hadn't before. Absolutely. Uh, as the great Larry Poff would say, Joel Embiid, baby, he's our baby! It was, he, he was our baby on Wednesday night. Th- there was no, I mean, you know, Spike had his little celebration when the, the trade for the number one overall pick materialized. And, uh, you know, there was obviously the retweet Armageddon that came along with that. It was still real easy to kind of deny, not deny, but, you know, stick your head in the sand a little bit like, hey, these guys haven't even played a game together. At that point, Ben Simmons hadn't played in the NBA. Joel Embiid was injured once again. Markel Fultz hadn't played. But when you watch what they did Wednesday night against the Lakers, and obviously Joel Embiid took center stage with that 46 points, what, 15 rebounds, 7 assists, 7 blocks. Technically, the first time that's happened in NBA history, I wouldn't phrase it like that. I would say that the first time it has been recorded in NBA history, because I'm sure there's a, a Wilt game or two where he pulled that off, but they weren't recording blocks at the time. But regardless, a historic night. And then you watch Ben Simmons near triple-double, what was it, 18, 9, and 10, with five steals along with it, completely overshadowed, by the way. Nobody talked about Ben Simmons. Nobody talked about it. And, it was and, an incredible performance by him. To be honest, deservedly so, because that was a historic performance by Joel Embiid. And I know sometimes you can get into some funny numbers where you you know, make that minimum at a certain <laughs> a certain way. But you just yeah. look at the game score. There, there are not many big men over the last 30, 40 years who have pulled off what he did and had that kind of an impact in one game. It's undeniable right now. The Sixers have two. I mean, you read some of the articles from The Ringer, from you know pretty much everyone out there. I, I saw one on SI where they're just talking about like, you know, go through the duos, the young duos that came in the league that you could even compare them to. Rich, this is special. This is special. Yeah. W- once you get into... 42 points and then rebounds and then assists and steals. And that number is above 40 on the point total. Yeah. Like that's not a bullshit. <laughs> right. Who was that? Was that a, there. Was that a, um, those, who was that? Was that a Hollinger? The bullshit triple double? Oh uh, yeah. Well, remember, Godala, I mean, that, right. It was about a good. Yeah. That was a, that was an old school Sixers, man. That was forever ago. The pathetic <laughs> triple double for Iguodala. Right. Of, right. Like, 10 10 and 10 this was not that no there was nothing pathetic um and just to be clear 
the Iguodala triple doubles weren't pathetic either. No. Sarcastic. Too. And to be clear, I love, I'm a big fan of John Hollinger. He's a really great guy, but he's, he said that and it, it drew Sixers fans ire in the wee early days of Sixers Twitter. But no, there was nothing pathetic about Joel Embiid's performance the other night. He even limited his turnovers to two. You know, what were they? A plus, oh, I don't even remember. I did the math. It was a, like a plus 20 something when he was in the game or plus 19. Hmm. He made some incredible passes to Simmons. So I guess we haven't done one of these in a while. And if you remember last week at this time, after the frustrating loss in Sacramento, Embiid was taking some heat. Yeah. Like specifically he was hearing about his conditioning and his explosiveness and watching the games like this was understandable. He didn't look as explosive as he did last season, and even to his credit, he acknowledged it. The problem, and when we were sort of talking between ourselves, obviously not on a podcast, I, I'm sorry, we didn't have one last week, but we, I, I kept telling you, like, I, he doesn't look as explosive, but if you look at the on-off numbers, just the good. Sixers... They were almost better, better, right? Well, they are better right now. I mean, he's, I think, plus 11 on and negative 11.8 off. It's insane. So they were destroying teams when he played, specifically defensively. And they were also getting destroyed when he sat. So, like, if I remember, they were even a little more pronounced than last year's numbers. So is it weird that, in a way, I think Joel's performance the other night is being underrated a little bit? (laughs) <laughs> I was listening to uh, Bill Simmons' podcast earlier today, and he was like ranking the top twenty players in the NBA, which is fine. And his rationale, Tatum's what, like twelve? Excuse me, Jason Tatum's what, like twelve on that list? Yeah, he was like sixth. Horford <laughs> was eleventh. Yeah, it was, it was tough. I mean, that's it's a big three they got over there. Uh, he, but but his rationale for ranking Ben Simmons uh, besides. I think his son having the same name as him uh, is that like he, he I think he ranks Simmons 14th and Embiid 16th and his what? rationale. I'm sorry. Go le- ahead. Well, let, let let me get your reaction to that first. I would, huh? Like how, how did how's anybody watched? And look, I don't mean to diminish Ben Simmons in the slightest. Like the fact that he is in the top 20 for 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 Bill Simmons is cause for celebration but there is no universe where he is ahead of Joel Embiid right now none and I know this was a popular debate among Sixers fans earlier in the season you know can you realistically compare can Ben Simmons end up having the higher potential the higher ceiling than Joel Embiid no I mean Joel Embiid just he's Joel Embiid's upside is the best player in the NBA period bar none yep and that's where I was going with this so his rationale was that he brings it every night in a way that Jojo doesn't. And while I think I, you can agree with that, with the obvious variable with that being his health. But besides that, like, I I think he meant like, he's like, I know I'm getting whatever, 18, eight and eight every night from Ben Simmons. And he does stuff the stat sheet in a way that Joel doesn't necessarily every night. But he's also not single-handedly transforming the Sixers from, I think, if you look at the net ratings, the second best team in the NBA. And really, that's the first team because the Warriors don't count. They're not a real team. Right. They're not a real team. Yeah. Yeah. To the third worst when he sits? Yeah. I mean, you're you're talking the difference between basically the Warriors and basically the Bulls. It's absurd. It's absurd. So this gets back to why I think that game the other night was underrated. It's not just that JoJo was the first player in the history of the NBA, willed excluded. I, I get that he probably did this once a week to go for 46, 15, 7, and 7. It's that such a crazy stat line is a bonus to the elite defense he provides right. every single night. The guy is just an incredible talent. Yeah, he really is. And we, you know, we're kind of in like. People like to call it the age of unicorns. I'm I'm kind of sick of unicorns at this point, but it 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 signifies people. It's a word that people understand what it means at this point. And there are so many of these completely unique players, like Porzingis, like Giannis. What's interesting about Embiid 
he can dominate the game in almost any way he chooses to. Like when he puts his mind to it and he wants to get on the block, I mean, Julius Randle is still having nightmares about what Joel Embiid did to him on the block. When he wants to step away from the rim, take guys off the dribble, it can look, I don't want to say clunky at times, but the end result is him ending up on the floor way too much. But he can take you off the dribble. He can shoot from the proners two for three from, from downtown the other night. And oh, by the way, if none of that works at all, he's still rebounding, what, like a 30, 32% defensive rebounding rate, something absurd like that, and completely controlling the game defensively. Like, his floor, when he's having a bad game, is only dominating half of it. And that's such an incredible luxury to have. And, I mean, to be honest, he really doesn't, even right now, and I think for the beginning part of the year, we we both have expressed that his defense wasn't quite up to the level that it was maybe last year. Even that is yeah. still top three, top five defensive player in the league. Like it's, it's absolutely absurd what he does on a night and night out basis. And look, if you want to make the argument that maybe Ben Simmons will have more value over the course of his career because of, you know, because of injury. Sure. That's not, that's not how I take best, you know, better player. And and I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know what Bill Simmons is watching to be honest. He's not the only person that has said that over the past couple of days, though. It's been like pretty popular. Now, I mean, part of this just might be hyperbole and the the way we sort of discuss these players now, but you've heard the sentiment a lot, or at least I have, that wow, Embiid is amazing, and I'm not sure he's the best player on his team. Maybe that's just because that's a nice line to say and to express, you know, what type of amazing talent Ben Simmons is. And to be clear, we are not diminishing what Ben Simmons is doing. I am stunned at how good that guy is right away. Yeah, it's, I mean, but with Embiid, we're, we're talking realist, like, what are the realistic outcomes he could have? And I forget, what, what did, is the Michael Jordan line, the ceiling is the roof? I mean, for Joel, the floor is basically the roof. Like, yeah. he, it's unbelievable how good he is. I, the, that, the end of that game was hilarious. Poor Julius Randle having to guard him i i don't know what luke walton could have done because you know jojo really has eaten up uh, brooke lopez i feel like you know he's played 40 games in his career and eight of them have been against brooke lopez and (laughs) where he's destroyed him every night but i i said on twitter the other night if you've seen the movie jack it's like when robin williams is playing against little kids in basketball and he's dunking on them and he's like an oversized fifth grader that's what it was julius randall had no prayer to guard him and my god that dream shake he had (laughs) i I don't even know if it it, it is a dream shake like he definitely had the one move in college that we basically tweeted out and while he was injured reminded everybody oh man this guy's capable of such brilliance on the low block yeah but for the most part in the nba his back to the basket moves have been mostly power (laughs) and when i mean power i mean like just trying to go through a guy oftentimes with the result being him falling down on the ground too. Like you saw the skill more when he faces up and shoots that little jumper. But man, that movie hit Randall with the other night. That was special. Pivot, reverse pivot, shot fake, layup. That was dream-esque. My favorite part was his big-ass smile at the end of it, and then he did like a little shimmy shake. You know, just basically saying that he shook him. It 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 was absurd. That whole fourth quarter. You know, he dropped 19 in the fourth quarter. And again, by the way, Sixers didn't even really play well in. Like, they couldn't shoot from the perimeter. They were turning the ball over left and right in the first half. Got destroyed on the on the, on the the glass. And, you know, J.J. Redick had maybe his worst game as a professional. Just a whole lot went wrong for the Sixers. And what surprised me about the Lakers, the Lakers are, are a weird team. They're like top five in the league in defense right now. I don't frankly know how per se um but they're they're defending really well and Joel Embiid just I mean you said he had no matchup for him and that's what's interesting about Embiid he can you know coaches come in and they have these guidelines and these principles and these ways they want to dictate the game and Joel Embiid can just make them throw it all to the wind and look you're gonna have to adapt to me you want to go small you want to not double so you don't leave perimeter shooters well I'm not I'm going to feast on you to 19 points in the fourth quarter. It was, it was a treasure to watch. It really was. 
I was watching the ESPN broadcast live. I was actually working on a Robert Covington piece, so I was kind of only half watching. But when I got to rewatch the game, I had a DVR on Comcast, and uh, it cracked me up because Brian Colangelo was sitting in the same spot he was the other night. He was right on the baseline next to the Sixers, and when JoJo was cooking Randall, him and NBA superfan Jimmy Goldstein were just <laughs> delighted by by the passing JoJo was making. And it was Colangelo and this uh, guy that's over 70 years old who's seen pretty much every big game over the past 20 years wearing some of the craziest fashion I've ever seen in my life. And those guys were just – Jimmy Goldstein looked like he had never seen anything like it before. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, God, they won both of those games. I believe there were seven of 32 shooting threes in both of those games. Reddit couldn't buy one. Sarich couldn't buy one. Yeah. And Simmons, Embiid, and Covington, mo- mostly those two in, in the last game, uh, were just unbelievable in both of those games. And it was great. You know, I mean, obviously everybody can see every game. You know, that would that game would have been big news regardless of what channel it was on. But for those guys to do that on ESPN, and it seemed like all of basketball Twitter was watching that game. It it was it was definitely their coming out party. And you know, I, I think it's not like people. It was any secret how good JoJo was, but God, it 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 seemed. Like, I think he really put the whole NBA on notice with that game. You know, there's no secret with with JoJo, but I think a lot of people are wondering how he was going to respond to the increase in minutes. And, you know, there's still a lot of, well, you know, you got you to prove it. Prove it that you can do it playing a whole game. Prove it that you can withstand that kind of, you know, you have that kind of stamina. And I think he showed, like, I, I think everybody knew he was a supreme talent. But I think last, or Wednesday night, I say last night, we're recording this on freaking Friday night. Um, but I think he showed on, on I think, Friday or Wednesday, buddy. I'm getting there. I think Wednesday is when the NBA realized like, Oh, this is like, this could be Joel Embiid's league now. And it's not potential. It's not, you know, he's showing flashes or he's dominating limited time. Like, like this could be his league. This is when I started getting tweets like, Hey, uh, do we have to start worrying about that extra $5 million? You can That's exactly us? what I was thinking. And because I think I, the answer, the answer might not be yes right away, but it's like, it, it's certainly he's gonna, a possibility. If he's going to play 35 minutes a night. It's not, it's not absurd. Um, I don't think it'll happen. I think Giannis and, and LeBron and, and those guys have it kind of on lockdown. If for no other reason than not for no other reason, because they're playing at an absurd level, but it's also because of name recognition. But wait, wait but he's a center though, right? Oh no! First, first team All NBA is definitely in play. I was just talking about MVP. First team <laughs> NBA definitely. I mean, again, Cousins, yes, or, or Davis, whichever one they end up considering a a center. But he, he, look, if he's playing thirty five minutes a night, I'm not telling you no. I'm sure as hell not telling you no. Yeah, he. I mean, Cousins and Cousins is especially playing really well to start the year. But yeah, I- exactly. I mean, JoJo. I mean that that was crazy. Do uh. So there was something else that kind of bothered me in the media coverage yesterday. And like before we get into this, I I think it's safe to say that you and I are on the record as big Sam Hinkie fans. Like there's no there's no confusion where we stand on that issue. Right. No, no, there's not. Okay, And despite, you know, us not being big fans of how he was let go. I think we both have done a pretty good job of keeping the hinky arguments to a minimum. If you'll remember back in, I don't know, 2014, Twitter was an absolute war zone in that regard. But on this podcast, on Twitter, on our site, I think we've done a pretty good job of moving on. Like, after all, it's the Sixers we cover. It's not the, not Sam Hinky, right? For sure. Yep. Okay. With that said, because I want, I wanted to preface it with that. I am so goddamn sick of members of the mainstream media moving the goalposts on the entire process era. Now that this thing's starting to work. Well, you know, you might have the best duo since Penny and Shaq, but you know, you missed on Jaleel Okafor. Like, no, that's not the point. Yeah, I agree. They get into arguments. I mean, Embiid looks like a transformational player. Simmons looks 
just below that. A tra- no, he's a transformational player in his own right. Robert Covington has been one of the biggest diamonds in the rough that you will ever find, maybe in any sport. Julio for okay, you might be able to look back on that one a bit. A bit? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but overall, the Sixers look awesome. No, and if, there, if... And there are plenty of commentators that have already gone and will continue to go out of their way to discredit Sam. Just freaking stop. Like, focus, focus on the players or avoid the topic altogether if you have to. But enough of this revisionist history bullshit. No, it is if... Because remember, people talk. Oh, it was half a decade of losing. No, no, it wasn't. Like it was from the from the first game. We are right now, you know, three years and two weeks after the first game that was played in the process. You didn't you didn't witness that much losing. So to have it, basically, you know, you had twenty fourteen or yeah, twenty fourteen, fifteen, twenty fifteen, sixteen, twenty sixteen, seventeen. Those were the three years. Um, well, wait, no. No, I'm sorry, 2013-14. So we're, we're four years into it. Um, but you basically had 2013-14, 2014-15, 2015-16. Those were the three years of the process. To walk away with Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, the Lakers and the Kings draft picks, Robert Covington, TJ McConnell, um, you know, Rashawn Holmes, there is no... That is... People always talk, oh, you're kicking a can down the road, kicking a can down the road. When are you going to see results? It's taking too long. That was one of the swiftest rebuilds you will see to get that kind of a base to move forward between. And it was funny. I went back. First of all, I, I actually at one point tweeted out the quote and I got the quote wrong, which I felt like the biggest idiot in the world with. But I knew, you know, right when that game happened, I knew, you know, we we needed to get that we'll all know quote. Like I wanted to get the audio from that. And I was pretty sure I had it because I'm a I'm a digital hoarder. I don't delete any audio that I capture. So I went back, you know, I knew it was said right when the Michael Carter Williams trade happened. I went back, found it pretty easily. And I'm listening to that, that, that press conference. And at first I was just going to play the, we'll all know quote, like that was all I was going to do on the intro. But then I'm listening to that press conference again. And man, that trade will always to me be amazing because it was, that was really the inflection point of when people went, you know, this, 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 this is out of hand. You can't do this. Because I think before then he really had uh, he had the support of most of the city, and to listen to Sam talk and to talk about what meaningful progress is, and you know, yeah, we might have something here, but we're not we're not looking to get have a point guard. We're looking to get these really foundational pieces. To hear him talk, to hear the questions, the almost indignant questions of how can you trade away this point guard? It really was striking to me how some people measured progress and how what the progress they did end up making and where we are now is so vastly different than I think so, so many of those people who were against it wanted. Like it really did seem if you were just sat there and gone with Michael Carter Williams and Nerlens Noel picked a couple more mid first round guys and moved on with life. Like how I, I don't. He, he got called a snake oil salesman and Ponzi schemer when really it was the exact opposite. The guy never lied about anything he was doing. No. He just didn't talk that much. Right. Um, but, but yeah, like just for all these people who were so against this guy during all the losing and, and saying all of the winning, like all this winning, like was never going to come. And now, now that it has, <laughs> now that the orchard has been grown, just don't talk about them. I, you know, if you want to talk about the Sixers and just say, wow, they have some great young players, that's fine. But. I'm so sick of try- people trying to discredit this guy. He is more responsible than anybody for this. And, like, if you don't want to give him credit, that's fine. But stop making shit up. That just, <laughs> that, that infuriates me. That, it, it, it just, it, it's amazing to me that he got so much grief for the rebuild wasn't going along fa- fast enough. And now you look at it, you know, four years and four months from when he took the job. And, I mean, we're now a year and you know, a year and a half after he left. But for what he accomplished in three years was, it really was staggering. And you couldn't see it a year and a half ago when Joel Embiid still hadn't played a game of basketball, when Ben Simmons, you know, they hadn't even won the lottery yet to to to, to draft him, when the draft picks that he traded for were still years away. So maybe it was it was foggy, 
But that doesn't mean that progress, like it's progress is really what I go back to. And it's, it's just because you couldn't see progress doesn't mean progress wasn't being made. And just because you could see progress in a guy like Michael Carter Williams doesn't mean it was real meaningful progress. And like I said, that's really why I went back and I grabbed those quotes because it really just encapsulated that perfectly. And it's just, it does amaze me that now you look back on it and it's like, that was, that was a lightning quick rebuild for what they were able to accomplish. And it is a, uh, Hey, you know, we'll benefit for the next decade, hopefully assuming health because we get to cover the team. Um, but it, it really, so many of those arguments just seem so silly now. It just, and look, Sam will be fine. He'll get another job. You know, he certainly, certainly isn't, uh, he, you know, he's not hurting, but those arguments just seem absurd. Like they seem so absurd to me now. So yeah. absurd. And, and we'll move on. Yeah, enough about Sam, but just, he did a great job. That's just point blank what happened. Um, so let's talk about something else he did a great job with. I think you're starting to lose it a little bit, buddy. What were you, $400,000 off on the Covington <laughs> contract? Hey, you, you get lucky sometimes. What can I say? So should we call that contract the Colangelo special? Because <laughs> th- there's been a lot of well-deserved kudos for Rocco. But underneath that, this seems on paper like it's a pretty team-friendly contract for the Sixers, no? Oh, for sure. I mean, it's 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 great. You know, it, basically, he gets a little under $17 million this year now, $16.7 million. He would have gotten, you know, $1.7. So he gets a huge influx of cash. I figured it out. You know, he'll, he'll get about $27 million this year and next under this deal. Even if he would have waited and signed a, you know, a four-year $60 million net contract in the summer, he would have only gotten about, you know, what, maybe $15 million during that same span. So he's getting a lot more money now. And the Sixers get a really team-friendly. I mean, look, he only has a $10 million cap it next year. And after that, it's like 10-8, 11-6. Like, it goes up about 800 k a year. So it's perfect because Rocco gets paid. And look, maybe he could have gotten a little more money. He basically... It's the buying power. It's the equivalent of a four-year, $60 million deal that he would have signed in the summer. And maybe you can make the argument he would have gotten more more than that in the free agent market. Uh, I don't think, you know, the, the markets change so quickly year to year now that it's hard to really say. Certainly, you know, back in 2016, 460 for Covington would have been a steal. Well, we're not, we're not in 2016 anymore. The cap's not jumping up by $20 million a year. There aren't, you know, 15 teams in the league with max room. So he might've been able to get a little bit more than that. Maybe he could have gotten 470, who knows, but he gets a little bit of certainty. He doesn't have to worry about an injury. You know, this is guaranteed money. He gets that money early up front. Uh, and he still, I mean, he still gets the, the equivalent of a four year, $60 million deal. So good on him. But for the Sixers, man, they now go into not just this season, but the next two seasons with cost certainty on their entire core from Embiid to Simmons and Fultz who are both still under rookie scale contracts to now Covington. They know what they have to work with and they can go in there and make moves. Jared Bayless specifically to get to a maximum salary this summer. If they don't like what they see, they can resign JJ Redick or, or what have you someone to a one year deal. Try again in 2019 when, Oh, by the way, Clay Thompson is a free agent and the Warriors will be historically expensive to keep together. And they're set up really well right now. They're going to have to do some moving. I think I figured it out. They probably have about $30 million in cap space for next summer right now. That's There's some things that could eat into that from draft picks to Embiid maybe making all team, uh, you know, first team all NBA. But they can realistically get to a maximum salary contract. And like I said, they don't have to act next summer. They can punt that until 2019 and and try one more time. It is great to have Covington on that low of a contract and have your core locked into that kind of cost certainty because now they really can be aggressive in pursuing what they want to pursue. Yeah, and for a guy making relative peanuts, he gets locked in at a number where he could take care of his family for the rest of his life. And he gets to play in the place where he grew up as an NBA player. And I mean, let's not sugarcoated too, a place with awesome young players that he fits yeah. in really well with. So, so yeah, I mean, there was, it's the rare deal that it's a win-win when, when it's not like a max contract. It, right. 
where, where both sides clearly had a lot riding on it and they, it just made sense for both of them. Yeah. And as far as the free agents go, the Sixers have optionality over the next couple of years. I mean, they, you almost don't want to say it, but it's going to be brought up that LeBron, I'm sure they'll be able to at least make a call there. It probably won't happen. I can't imagine. But if, if Joel and Ben keep kicking ass, there's a chance. There's Paul George. There are a bunch of sort of three and D type guys this year where, you know, you have Danny Green and Avery Bradley and KCP, all of whom would fit really nice with the Sixers. And then, like you said, next year, the Clay Thompson and the Warriors with the luxury tax bill that that it might even be too much for them. There are a lot of ways they can go with this. And like, I mean, it sounds disappointing when I say Avery Bradley or, or Danny Green or KCP. Those guys would fit in really well with the Sixers. And I think that's the lower end of what they can do over the next two years. Yeah, for sure. Uh, real quick on Covington, I, I think it's going to be interesting over the next couple of years because people are going to look at what he's making annually over, you know, 2018, 19, 2019, 20. They're going to be like, man, how is he only getting paid, you know, $10.8 million? I think it's going to be real easy to forget about the $15 million bonus he just got this year because it's in the rearview mirror. I will say for him, it makes, you know, the, the Sixers were obviously the only team he could get that renegotiation in there for him. And I think when we look at it in the future, I think that's going to be glossed over. He, uh, I, I really do think, like I said, even if maybe he left five, six, maybe even $10 million on the table, I think you make a make an argument this really was one that worked out for both sides because of the Sixers' unique salary cap situation and their ability to offer that renegotiation and how much it made sense for them to do so considering they really had no other use for that money and the great salary cap space that a former general, general manager put them in. It really is a win-win-win across the board. Um, it is, uh, you know, it was, it was a smart way to use the resources that they had at their disposal. And it really does make then a, um, you know, a max guy next over the next two summers realistic. It's, it's, uh, you know, and you brought up LeBron and, you know, I'm not going to say they're going to go out and get LeBron, but what I will say is when teams have max cap space with, with some exceptions, you know, Houston has been real good at clearing their books and being a good team that can attract a attract a you know a star. Uh, San Antonio has been real good at doing that. But when you look at most of the teams that are going to have room, they have blank slates. Yeah, they have they have blank slates. You're going to be looking at teams like, you know, Dallas, and that's always been the argument we've made about why you have to build in the draft first because Dallas isn't going to be able to attract an A level star, a, a legitimate maximum salary contract guy. Sixers might be able to, and we talked about you know 38, 39, 40, 41 wins. Earlier in the season, well, shit, Rich, if they started off eight and six this portion of the schedule and Joel Embiid's going to be playing 30, 35 minutes a night, hey, 45 wins in a playoff spot is not crazy. And if they win 45 games, they're going to be pretty u- uniquely positioned to go out there and try to attract a free agent. It's it, it could get real exciting real quick. I mean, they, they have a ready-made team with players at every position, most of whom are still not even close to what their peak level is. That's really attractive. And just even in the LeBron hypothetical, a player like Robert Covington is huge. Hey, LeBron, you wouldn't have to guard anybody. You wouldn't have to guard the other team's best players. We have a guy who's 26 years old who's more than happy to do that and very good at it. By the way, Cov, uh, you know, we talked earlier about how the Sixers are – are great with Joel on the floor and, and terrible Cove is, I mean, it, it's still early, but Cove is plus 7.7 net rating when he's on the floor and they're minus 14.4 when he's off the floor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's a really, uh, there's no other way to, to explain it. Like he is a really important, be- and you look at, start, start looking at some of those and you could probably tie a lot of that to Joel Embiid. Absolutely. Would be my guess which doesn't take a single thing away from Covington. But, you know, you start looking at it, clearly his his shooting and his floor spacing are huge on offense. Clearly his defense is, is you know, his, his versatility and his ability for his turnovers are huge on both ends. 
Um, you know, I think it's easy to overlook how much that impacts the offense as well. But yeah, I mean, he's 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 never put together a season where he's as complete as he is right now. And I think we all expect like the shooting is gonna he's gonna hit a rough spot. And I kind of I'm already dreading the arguments of oh you know he got paid now he's missing shots because that makes logical sense. But it's it's gonna come up. But I mean it, he's he's just he's so on point right now, and his defense is still there. His versatility is still there. You need him to, he'll he'll slide over, defend the two, even the one for stretches, the four. He can do it all, and his uh, his trigger is so quick right now. And it's, I mean, he's never been gun shy, like ever. Um, I mean, that was one of the reasons why he ended up winning out on the, you know, on the Chris Johnson um, tryout, James Anderson tryout, because he would shoot, whereas those other guys would hesitate. But he's, I mean, just, he is so locked in right now. And it's tough because you saw what the other side of that variance coin could end up being. Uh, we saw that to start last year, but it's it's shit for all the slumps we've ridden through. He's he he's earned the benefit of the doubt. He's earned it. Yeah, G- great story too. Kid with two college scholarships and went amazing. Isn't went it? to the D League, wasn't drafted, and now you know picked up off the scrap heap. He was not. It's funny, people were retweeting the Mark Stein tweet from 2014, the Sixers have signed Robert Covington, and there were a few quote tweets of, oh God, another no-name person, and it just just goes to show that strategy, all you need to do is hit on one, and the Sixers have clearly done that. It's uh, What's Deadspin's? Godless Abomination? Something like that? Godless Abomination. He was brought in to make the team lose. That is held up just about as bad as... It's just did disingenuous bullshit, that was. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, it's a great story for him. Good family. Um, yeah. The, uh, I, I think the... Uh, Which, it, by the way, if you, if you haven't gotten the, uh, you know, the kind of undertone there, go read Rich's background on, on Covington's journey over at theathletic.com yep in the uh in the coming weeks i think we'll have to have a discussion about uh and this is a good discussion to have about how to fix the sixers bench and make sure they don't crater when Embiid hits the floor because that's the one thing holding them back right now but yeah and i mean but if you told me at this point of the year that's the biggest problem right, right at that point like it's it's a pretty good outcome Right. Uh, real quick before we get into our bench discussion, though, a word from our sponsor. Shaving is at its best a nuisance, something that's either drastically overpriced or that can cause irritation, or at its worst, both. But you put up with it because it's required to look like a civilized human being. And that's the way I approached shaving for years until I, until I was introduced to Harry's razors. With Harry's, you can get both quality razors and at an incredible price, which is why over 3 million guys have switched to using Harry's. In fact, Harry's was founded because Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys, were fed up buying overpriced razors and started Harry's to fix that core shaving problem. They bought their own German factory with over 100 years of blade-making experience to ensure the highest quality, and all of their products are backed by a 100% quality guarantee. Harry's sells razors directly to you over the internet, cutting out the middleman and allowing them to sell their braids at half the price of their competitors. I'm now in month 9 of my own personal Harry's experience and haven't even thought of switching back. In fact, I was so happy with their product that I bought a 24-pack of blades, and yes, with my own money, over the summer that I'm still working my way through, and intend to refill once that runs out. Claim your free trial offer from Harry's today, a $13 value for free when you sign up. You just cover shipping. Your free trial set includes a weighted, ergonomic razor handle, five precision-engineered blades with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel cover. To get your free trial set, go to harrys.com slash sixersbeat right now. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com slash Sixers beat. Okay, back to talking about the Sixers troublesome bench. It's interesting looking at the, you know, looking at the lineup numbers. Sixers current starting lineup is for, for I think it was for lineups with more than 50 minutes played. Running through the league. I think, I think they're about the best lineup in the league, which I'm not sure I see sustaining. Like I, I still, I, I'm not a huge fan of Dario in the lineup. In in the starting lineup, and man, has he been a! Uh, it, it's been a struggle for him all year. Even even when he was making his threes, which over the last few games he hasn't. But even when he was making his shot, the rest of his game has been such a struggle that we'll we'll see what happens over the next couple of weeks. 
But it really shows you when Simmons and Embiid and Covington are on the court, they can compete at a very high level. But like you said, the bench has just been a, it's been a struggle all year. And I'm not sure what the fix is. I certainly, I think, you know, Markel Fultz coming back and looking like Markel Fultz would be a a great help to that. Jared Bayless coming back would be a help because as, as, as much as people get on him, you know, he was still shooting 40% from downtown. He was still, still spacing the floor, providing you something. But right now they have, they're just, there really aren't any real consistent options that Brett Brown can go to. Yeah, and as of this taping, they're uh, they're pretty thin right now with the Justin Anderson shin split. Stauskas is out. Bayless is still out, right? He's yeah. he, he, mm-hmm. he hasn't come back out indefinitely. I think yeah, yeah, he hasn't come back. So it uh, they're gonna have to be creative. I think TLC is gonna get a lot of time here. And it wouldn't uh, it wouldn't be a Sixer season without a mysterious Jared Bayless wrist injury. No. So, and this this isn't completely related to the Sixers, but I, I kind of wanted we didn't talk about this. You uh, you worried about Lonzo yet? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> it, it, that shot is a very important part of his game, and if it's going to look like it is now, I mean, well, I mean, it always looked bad, but if it's going to be like he's not missing, he's like he's really fucking missing. Like we're talking six inches to the left, we're talking bricks everywhere. If that shot isn't going to translate, he clearly, I mean, one-on-one scoring, scoring off the pick and roll, scoring off the bounce was never his strength. It never is going to be his strength. It's uh it's a little concerning, yeah. It's it's still really early and I don't think that team is all that well suited to take advantage of his strengths. And when you only have a couple of real elite strengths and I still think his passing is elite, but when you don't have the options to really utilize that and his weaknesses are so pronounced. He's, I mean, he looks real bad. He looks real bad. It's weird. Be- Wouldn't be the first draft prospect I got wrong, but I'm I'm not ready to quite go there yet. Yeah, it's strange because I was a Lonzo fan this summer. You guys can check the tapes if you want on that. But that shot right now is scaring me so much that I'm asking the question, would I rather have him or the guy that the Sixers have who I'm not sure still knows how to shoot a jumper anymore? But because Fultz's issues seem at least partially mental, that I'd almost ra- rather have that because Lonzo's shot looks so bad. I I, I don't know. It's... It has not been a banner start for the first two picks in the 2017 NBA draft. No, no, and I'm I'm still I'm still on, you know, one of the things back in in old Liberty Ballers days was team chill. I'm still kind of team chill on on Markel. I think he eventually figures it out. I'm not sure what that means for this year, but I still I I very much like his skill set and the way he fits in with this team. I do think it would have been interesting to see Lonzo on his team because a lot of those weaknesses. You know, like we always said, he shouldn't be your half-court initiator. He is a lot in Los Angeles. He wouldn't be here at all. But if that shot is going to look as ugly as it currently does, and it almost doesn't matter, there's no real half-court offense, he's going to be effective playing. There's no role for him. He, he'll he be fun to watch develop. And it really is, you know, it's going to be, it really does highlight how little we know about a shooter coming out of college, especially a, a freshman shooter. Because there's such a small sample. And it, certainly he had red flags in his form, in his free throw. But it's uh, it, it, it'll be fun to watch out. I, I still, I enjoy, if he figures it out, I'm going to enjoy watching him play. If he doesn't figure it out, I'm going to enjoy watching <laughs> his struggles. But I'm, I enjoy that a lot more knowing that he's not on the Sixers doing it. He, he would definitely be better on the Sixers. The question is how much. Right, uh, right. Yeah, because there, there's a couple level levels of better before you're getting anywhere approaching good. Well, like w- worst field goal percentage ever. There's a there are a few levels to jump up after that. He, it's been a uh, rough week for the big baller brand. <laughs> Gotta say, your your son in the NBA can't throw the ball in the ocean, and then your other son had eh, caused an international incident. <laughs> <laughs> that the president had to step in on. 
Um, I will say I don't. I I try very hard to avoid Lavar. Has he had? Did he comment on the game against the Sixers at all? Like, is he is he still out there talking about how uh, how Lonzo was better than Steph? Is that still a thing, or or did he at least learn to shut up when his kid's struggling like this? Yeah, I I don't know. I I haven't heard anything from him. I I don't know why. I I mean, partially because his, I'm sure his other son actually had a really serious thing happen to him. It seems like I I don't know, but I, I will say. And this was, I, I was staying up on Wednesday night, just, I couldn't wait for what Joel had on Twitter and Instagram. And he, I mean, he brought it. Who who knew that there was a place in Iran called Lavar? <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was kind of funny too, that he tweets out the picture of him scoring and Lonzo falling down. Yeah. And then he tweets, no, I like his game. This isn't about him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it, go- it goes back to, you know, over the summer when they were talking about dunking on him. It's, it's, God, I hate, I, I can't stand LeVar. I, I, and I know you kind of, you, you would have enjoyed writing about him or writing about his antics. It would have gotten so old for me so quickly. I'm, I'm very, I, he never would have been the reason I would have passed on Lonzo. But by the same token, considering the Sixers got Markel, and I'm still intrigued by what that can mean. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm okay avoiding the LeVar Ball yeah. situation. That My takes on that in the summer might not have aged well because it does <laughs> it does kind of feel, and somebody said this today when I was listening to the radio, that the Ball family, if this is their 15 minutes of fame, they're on minutes 16 or 17 right now. It does kind of feel like that. Hopefully Lonzo can turn into, you know, I certainly am not rooting for the kid to bust in the NBA. No, I th- I think the NBA is a better place if if Lonzo Ball figures out how to how to work his because look his his the skills he does have are still elite. I have no doubt that that passing, that vision, that awareness is still elite. The question is whether or not he's going to be effective enough to even warrant having the ball in his hands. So I hope he figures it out because I think the NBA is a more entertaining place if a guy of that skill set is able to figure that out. But it's uh. You know, it's it's certainly at this point he's got a he's got a lot of work to do, a lot of work. Yeah, and and even with the fifteen minutes comment, it, it, that could still be true if he develops into, I don't know, mo- uh, more offensively minded Ricky Rubio, is sort of right. the effect, which would be a pretty good outcome. But uh, oh, for sure. But he's more, I love Ricky. he's more famous than that at this point, so you know he'd be considered a bust. Yeah, the. Uh, yeah, it's it was it was interesting to watch that though. Just he wasn't on the floor at the yep. end of the game, and it happens a lot lately. He's been sitting a lot of fourth quarters. Well, while it was the the Simmons and Embiid show, and obviously Fultz wasn't on the floor either, but he wasn't in uniform. Yeah, he wasn't playing. Yeah. And by the way, I, I don't really understand that. Play the kid. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Let him take his lumps. I mean, it's not like. It's not like they have any personnel that's really going to be a, a a way to alleviate the burden that he has anyway. So let him take his lumps, figure out how to navigate his weaknesses. I agree with you, but yeah. All right, Luke making a couple of, of interesting decisions down the stretch. Yeah, he's a, he's a pretty good coach, I think. Though, well, oh, I like I I, I like Luke Walton. Um, let's see, couple of interesting ones coming up here. You know, in the next a uh, lot of home games. First of all, what, like six or seven. Six games, I think, in a row at home, like nine of ten, something of that sort. The schedule eventually had to even out. Obviously, Golden State, Saturday, Utah, Portland, Orlando. Okay, not exactly the highest profile matchups, but then you have Cleveland and Washington coming in as well. Is there any shot they have? Do they have any shot whatsoever uh, Saturday night against Golden State? I I mean... (laughs) It's going to be hard, especially because Golden State's coming, <laughs> because Golden State's coming off the loss to Boston, where they just didn't shoot well. The thing I'm looking forward to that in that game more than anything, Joel really struggled with Golden State's trapping and their switching defense, and he was great. I mean, his passing the other night. I I, I know we've sort of talked about his all around game, but my God, some of the passes he made the other night were yep. just spectacular. Isn't it? It's, it's so funny when he does it too, because sometimes he's like, like you can just see them go like, oh shit, I didn't, 
I haven't, I haven't passed in a while. Here's four dimes in like you know the next eight possessions. It's it's amazing. His passing, he's like the uh, I, I don't even know what baseball player to compare it to. The guy who hits 190 with 58 home runs. He's like the Adam Dunn of passing <laughs> or something like that. I mean, it really is like like the one the one year when Wilt not not that I have any recollection of this at all, but the one year where Wilt's just like fuck it, I'm leading the league in assists. Like he has that kind of ability where when he wants to really put his mind to it, he can be that elite passer. Yep. So so I'm really interested to see how he handles their defense because as good as he played the last couple of nights, Golden State is a much different hurdle. Yeah. I mean, they they really bring just unique length and quickness on the perimeter Simmons Simmons too. I mean, Simmons does such an incredible job of attacking space. And I think a lot of our concerns, you know, okay, well what happens when, when teams go under a screen, how is he going to respond to that? Well, he's done such a good job getting the rim that by and large, that's been a, a non-factor. One of the teams I thought that really did a good job of using those angles though, was golden state. And it'll be interesting to see how he and Brett Brown adjust uh, tomorrow night. Agreed. Can't wait to watch it though. Oh, for sure. It'll be a it'll be a fun time. Certainly one of the the perks of our job. Uh, it's not bad. I no no no. It's not my favorite thing every year. I love watching Steph Curry warm up. It's yep. oh my god. I I'm not getting there late tomorrow. That's for sure. I'll be on time. I make it a point every Warriors game. I'm just gonna stand there at half court and watch him bomb thirty footers effortlessly. Yep. Yeah. 30 footers with, you know, huge arc on it. And it's, it's insane what he goes through. It's insane. Um, cool. I think that's probably about it. Unless you have anything pressing to bring up. Nope. I think we hit everything. Yeah. I probably could have ranted for another, another hour, but we will not subject you to that. So thank you, Rich, for jumping on and we will talk to you soon. And also we were right. (laughs) Yes, we were. See you guys. Have a good one. You've been listening to the Sixers Beat right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. Clientele. My mic check is life or death, breathing the sniper's breath. I exhale the yellow smoke.